0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to episode number 156 of the Necessary Roughness podcast, presented by Last Word on Sports. As always, I'm your host, Nicholas Donatic. I hope that everybody had a wonderful Christmas, if you were celebrating, or Kwanzaa, or the tail end of Hanukkah, as we push into the New Year's Eve, New Year's Day weekend, Uh, and we push through a a decent week of football back in week 16. We're going to jump right in to this week's episode, and we're not going to go with the standout seven. We get a few of these every once in a while where the way things are formatted, I just feel like shaking it up. Don't get me wrong. We're probably going to go back to the standout seven for next week and likely throughout the postseason. But as we sit right now, we're just going to go with a big three here because we've got three major takeaways or three major categories, the way I see it, of ways to discuss the week that was in the NFL. So Let's get started right away with number one. We're going to be playoff-focused here. We're going to get started. AFC-NFC standings check. Who clinched? Who didn't? What are we looking at right now? Because coming into week 17, the old end of the season. If you're old enough to remember in my day, uh, the old end of the season. But now we got week 18 on the mend. Seven playoff spots in each conference right now as we sit we have five spots clinched in the American Football Conference. The one seed is currently held by the Buffalo Bills at 12-3. and They are tied with Kansas City, who has clinched their division. Also 12-3. and Cincinnati, who leads their division, is the three seed they have clinched. They will either win their division or be a wild card. They are 11-4. and The AFC South is still up for debate. Still up for grabs. That's going to come down to a week 18 matchup between the Titans and the Jaguars. Right now, the Baltimore Ravens have clinched a ball well, oh, not right now, but they have clinched a playoff spot. They will either flip flop with Cincinnati, or currently they are the five seed, the number one wild card. The LA Chargers have also clinched. They are nine and six coming into this week's matchup with the LA Rams. Right now. Jacksonville leads the AFC South 7-8. and eight. That will, I mean, I guess it could change depending on the outcome of this week's games, but my understanding is it's going to come down to this head-to-head matchup in Week 18. It doesn't necessarily matter that Jacksonville is ahead currently because Tennessee already lost, obviously, on Thursday Night Football. As we sit currently, the 7th seed in the AFC is the Miami Dolphins who are taking on the 8th seed, the New England Patriots this week. The nine seed, keeping it with an AFC East theme, are the New York Jets, who are taking on the Seahawks this week, who are on the bubble on the other side. We'll get there in a sec. The Pittsburgh Steelers creeping into the conversation. They're the ten seed, 7 and 8. Reminder, seven teams make it. I know we're at 10 seeds. It's a deep conference this year. Um, the Titans at 11, and the Raiders with a Hail Mary chance at 12, though... We'll talk about the Raiders a little later and why it's highly unlikely that Hail Mary gets caught. As we sit right now, only eight teams are eliminated, and it's Week 17. It's kind of impressive, to be honest. And if you're a fan of any of those teams, I'm sure you know we don't need to roll through those. On the NFC side of the bracket, the Philadelphia Eagles, minus Jalen Hurts at the moment, are sitting clinched for a playoff berth, not for their division even, though they're 13-2, right? They are the de facto one seed as we sit. If they beat New Orleans, they would be the one seed. If Dallas were to lose, it would certainly help lock up the division that would clinch them in the NFC East. I'm unsure how it would shake out. Let's say Philly somehow loses out and goes 13-4. Obviously, the Minnesota Vikings can surpass them and go 14-3. and three. Um, Or if Philly loses out, Dallas can leapfrog them. They could go all the way from the 5 to the 1 or the 2, depending on how things shake out here. Um, either way, still up in the air. NFC East, though the Eagles and Cowboys have both clinched. The Minnesota Vikings have clinched the NFC North. As we know, they are 12-3. The Niners have clinched the NFC West. They are 11-4. and four. Right now, three playoff birds up in the air. The NFC South. It's weird that the AFC and NFC South, both up in the air. Both easily the worst record of division winners. Kind of interesting. Right now, Tampa Bay is leading, though they are playing Carolina this week. They are seven and eight. Carolina is six and nine. The Giants are sitting at the sixth seed at 8-6-1. Full game lead over Washington, who is 7-7-1. Mind you, they also have Tiebreaker, uh, due to their 1-0-1 against them this year in their two games. Seattle, we mentioned before, 7-8, they're the eighth seed. Detroit at 9, 7, and 8. Green Bay at 10, 7, and 8. Carolina and New Orleans both at 6 and 9. Realistically, only alive in their division. Not really alive in the wild card hunt, but I guess anything is technically possible. Um, Before we move on into the major news and notes, let's go through the big games that were. Usually we go the bigger story, but this week, let's just meander our way through the league. Uh, First and foremost, Battle of the Birds. The Falcons did not really put much of anything together against the Baltimore Ravens, and Tyler Huntley did just enough. I mean, 141 all-purpose yards, 9 of 17 through the air, 26 on the ground. They run for a buck 75 ish You know, they bring in Sammy Watkins. That same week, he has a catch for 40 yards. Deshaun Jackson had a catch. It's realistically going to come down to is Cincinnati going to be able to beat Buffalo um, when they face off this week? Or are we going to have a situation where it's going to come into potential tiebreakers and things of the sort? Additionally, obviously, will Lamar Jackson play? This week, he is listed as out versus Pittsburgh. Pittsburgh with the chance to pin an L on Baltimore in a game that could realistically shape not only their season, but their postseason, week 18 Baltimore will play the Bengals. Was any was either of these teams really impressive? No. I was kind of thinking with some of the things we've seen from Atlanta earlier in the year, they might be able to find a way to steal this NFC South, but it appears that Carolina and or New Orleans is better suited for that. Atlanta, on the outside looking in, they put up a decent fight, but come on. It was well in hand. Uh, let's talk Detroit versus Carolina. I mentioned this during the pick'em portion last week that I was picking Detroit, they're the better team, but sometimes when you're and look, this is this is a fugazi argument. I will be open and adamant about that. The culture thing is real, but when you start talking, oh well this organization just doesn't do it that's really like, that's black cat territory, you know what I mean? You're kind of just saying, yeah, of course, well, they haven't done it before. That was 30 years ago. That was 20 years ago, 10 years ago. I alluded to the fact that Detroit finds ways to Detroit things up in football and also in other sports. I guess maybe the Detroit Pistons against the Lakers withstanding about two decades ago at this point. The Lions go on the road and they're down 24-7 to at half to a Carolina Panthers team that is on their third quarterback, right? It was Baker, then it was P.J. Walker. They're currently on Darnold. They got gashed for 300 yards on the ground by mostly Deontay Foreman and Chuba Hubbard. I mean, oh my goodness. You're talking 500-plus yards total offense in this game. Jared Goff put up stats on the other side. The running game was relatively non-existent, though they were down early. Um, man, this is an embarrassing one. This is one that at the end of the year, you're going to look back and say, yeah, Detroit had a run in them. They were doing okay, but not okay enough. You take a look. If they were able to pull this one out, they'd be sitting at 8-7. and seven. They'd be above, I believe, in terms of win percentage. The Washington Commanders at 7, 7, and 1. Instead of jumping up to 7, they fall all the way down to number 9 behind Seattle. What other games caught my eye this past week? Chiefs taking care of business for the most part against Seattle. Cleveland kind of collapsing and allowing New Orleans to vault their way into potential NFC South contention with how well they've played against Tampa Bay during the Brady years. Uh, good for them. New England almost finding a way to make a comeback late in this game, and I don't particularly know how they did it. They were down 22-and-a-half. This was the week after they collapsed. You know, not, not collapsed, per se, but they gave up a questionable touchdown and then threw the game away against the Las Vegas Raiders, who have now moved on from their QB. And then... We have a Ramondre Stevenson fumble late in this game. New England winds up with the ball with 40 seconds left. Nowhere to really go. No timeouts. They can't pull anything together. The running game was non-existent. Joe Burrow threw the ball 52 times in a game where he, they were up three touchdowns at half. That's a little bizarre to me, if I'm being completely honest with you. Um, maybe emphasize the running game a little bit more, Zach Taylor. Maybe Maybe kill the clock a little bit, but what are you going to do? You know, well, I just told you what you should do, but that's life, you know. He's the one getting paid the big bucks, not me, certainly. The New York Giants put up a fight against Minnesota, and of course, in true New York Giants fashion, losing on a ridiculously long field goal. Uh, reminds me of the times it's happened against Philly, at least twice, three times. Um, I expected Washington put up more of a fight against San Francisco, and we'll talk about the big takeaway from that game, but realistically, San Francisco is a pushing towards cream-of-the-crop team in the NFC, if not the NFL. Washington is a fringe playoff team. It happens. Uh, Tennessee, going with Malik Willis, losing to Houston, which I called, by the way. I'm proud of that one, and I'm taking the victory lap because he didn't play very well against them earlier in the year. He didn't play very well against them in this game. Then Tennessee goes with Josh Dobbs. They don't run out Derek Henry presumably being conservative because they have the extra time off before the Week 18 matchup with Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars. It's interesting um, that they'd take the loss, but it is what it is. You know, Dallas did what they had to do, though they tried to turn the ball over quite a bit in that first half. Um, Realistically, will we see Coach Doug Peterson pull something similar? Will we see Doug Peterson perhaps pulling some starters as it gets later in the game this week against those very same Houston Texans because they know they have to win in Week 18 anyway. Why risk the injury? I'm not sure. Perhaps with players that are nicked up, we'll see how that turns out. Um, Pittsburgh pulled it out in the true Pittsburgh fashion, gritty, 13-10. They missed two field goals in that game. Derek Carr played one of his worst games I've seen him play as a Raider, if I'm being completely honest, and it was the Franco-Harris monument game of sorts, you know, retiring the jersey, honoring the Immaculate Reception, and they came away with the victory as we thought they would. Um, Cowboys-Eagles, it's Gardner Minshew. The big takeaway from this one, Miles Sanders putting the ball on the ground in one of the biggest moments of the game. You have your starting quarterback not in. You can't afford to do that. He puts the ball on the turf. Obviously, it winds up 40-34 40-34 to 34 instead of 37-34. to 34. Changes the entirety of the game. They wound up getting in field goal range, just couldn't get the touchdown. Uh, Gardner Minshew played all right, you know. I still think he could theoretically be a starting quarterback somewhere. But as far as backups go, he's relatively near the top of the list. Big upset by Green Bay. We'll talk that game in a sec. Weird game for Tampa. It's a win, you know. That's all I can say. It's a win. Um... Nathaniel Hackett blown out to the point of being dismissed from his job. We'll talk that a little bit later. But we'll move on from this. You know, we just want to do the speed run through the week. We're going to get into number 2 here, the QB whip around of sorts, eh? So, let's get started with that Miami game. This game was 20 to 10 approaching halftime. 20 to 10 and I believe we saw the play that I've seen diagnosed by the, the unofficial doctors of the internet, which caused the now, what would this be, the third concussion for Tua Tungavailoa? And it it's... I talked earlier in the year how it was uncomfortable, in a way that I have not seen on a football field, what happened... When Tua went down, I believe it was against Cincinnati in that Thursday night football game, and you see his hands, and you're, you're watching him appear not only injured in a way like we saw, like a Jermichael Finley, when we saw him down. We're used to players down and not necessarily moving, which is a whole different kind of scary. But when you see a sort of convulsion, or it, it's a whole nother level. We saw the play in that one where Tua gets dragged down to the ground. It looks like his head is slammed into the ground. Nobody from the neurological team involved that's supposed to be independent signaled anything. The referees didn't signal anything to himself. I presumably did not have symptoms or at least did not discuss them. I mean, I know the system is flawed guys, but like, come on, what are, what are we doing? What are we doing here? Um, Obviously, Tua goes on to throw three interceptions in this game, which is very uncharacteristic when you're talking about Tua Tungabailoa. Even when people were ripping him prior to this season, it was not for being an over-aggressive Brett Favre-type quarterback. It was quite the opposite for being conservative and game-managerish. I mean, the guy came into the game with five picks in 12 games, and he throws three picks in this one. Realistically, the outcome of the game is whatever. Obviously, if you're Miami, you want to win that game. You want to push further into the playoff hunt, so to speak. Right now, L.A. is clinched at 9-6. Presumably, if Miami would have got to 9-6, and six, considering their games remaining, they would have been in a similar situation. Alas, that didn't happen. Good game for the Packers. Uh, Rodgers didn't play tremendous. The running game wasn't tremendous either. But when the opposing quarterback throws three interceptions, you should find a way to win that game, and they did. The concerning thing for Miami now is they're clutching on to their playoff hopes. Is they're facing New England in Foxborough, and they're going to have to go with Teddy Bridgewater, at quarterback, obviously, because of the concussion suffered by Tonga Vailoa. Will he be back in time, possibly, for Week 18 against Mike White and the Jets? I don't know. Can the Dolphins win this week and kind of make it a little easier on Tua? How will things play out for the Jets? How will things play out for, you know, a team like Pittsburgh? I don't know. But it put it this way. If Tua is not the starting quarterback for Miami, their Super Bowl hopes are cut well over in half, right? They have all these numbers floating around, you know, percentages of teams to win it all. Like they had, what was it, Buffalo at like 17% or whatever. Whatever simulations they do. And look, I'm going to put this out there. This is a call to arms here. If anyone has any kind of information on how these simulations are done, comment section wherever you're listening, social media, all social media, at Nick the Nautic, N-I-K-D-O-N-A-D-I-C, because it, it just screams, it's like when I see the YouTube video, where it's like, Madden simulated the Super Bowl 50 times, and this is what happened. Uh, like, okay, like, I, I don't really care, that doesn't really do anything for me. So, what are they basing this 19% to win off of? Or 15, or wh- whatever the number was. To be honest, the number doesn't matter. it, it It's similar to when I see win probability during a live game. And they're like, oh, there's, well, there's 90 seconds left. The team that's trailing has the ball, but they've got a 54% chance to win. Yeah, flip a coin, dude. They might score, they might not. Okay. Like, oh, where'd you get the 4%? That's what I'm wondering. Where where did the 54 come in? Well, you know, in, in the previous 150 times that this score has happened, the team with the ball won 77 times. Oh, really? Well, how do those compare when we consider the fact that this team has an injury at quarterback? Or, oh, how about the fact that this team was up at 1.10 points and then this happened? And then, oh, what about the fact that the last touchdown that the Raiders scored, the guy actually stepped out of bounds? How about that? Well, what if the Patriots running back decides to pitch it to the receiver who doesn't feel like playing anymore? You know, like, it feels weird. And, look, I'm not trying to knock game theory or any kind of, you know, analytics or statistical analysis – I like statistics, I do. I think the depth that analytics has provided to sports as a whole, both football, baseball, basketball, is intriguing, right? It's trying to quantify the unquantifiable, right? Batting average is a simple stat. Passing yards is a simple stat. Passer rating was an early kind of analytic stat, right? And now we have QBR and things like that. But when we get into win probability, I'd almost say I'd rather have, like, three prognosticators from Vegas. One from FanDuel, one from DraftKings, and one from MGM. And my apologies to any other sports books that I've left out here. I know uh, there's, there's quite a few of them that are actually pretty sharp, and those are not the sharpest, obviously, but those are the most readily accessible. Um, have them sit at a round table and spit out a number. You know, FanDuel guy says eh, I give him about 75%. DraftKings guy, eh, I give him about 50. MGM guy, eh, let's go 65. And you go, well, when we equalize the numbers, they've got a 63.8% chance. Like, yeah, it, it does that for me. Um, rant, excuse. I mean, I'm sure the rant is going to wind up somewhere in the description of the thing, but there it is. But back to the matter at hand. Miami's chances without Tua are drastically impacted. I like Teddy Bridgewater. I liked him out of college. I liked him pre-injury. I've seen a little bit post-injury that I've liked, but he's not the same player, obviously. I'm not expecting a Nick Folesian run, but with the amount of talent around him, it's theoretically possible, right? Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle, elite dynamic duo, Mike Kosicki, great tight end, good production out of the backfield, good enough now and again. Uh, A defense that does their job, they're young and athletic, right? It could happen if the road goes properly. You know, everybody needs a couple bounces, but with two out there, it's a lot easier to, uh, pun not intended, to see coming, so to speak. Let's move into those Vegas Raiders we discussed. So, as we sit right now, Derek Carr is leading the league in interceptions. Obviously, he had three interceptions This past week. That was his second three interception game of the year, bookended on his season, week one and week 16. In the last five games, he has thrown nine interceptions. Now, mind you, they are three and two in those games with the two losses coming by a combined four points. Just putting that out there, right? Just put it out there. He has two, he has, excuse me, five games this year with two interceptions and no picks. A loss to Arizona, a loss to Kansas City, a loss to Jacksonville, a loss to Indy, and barely defeating the Denver Broncos. Like, not necessarily his, his production that has been the problem, but Derek Carr's in a weird spot. And this is per spot rack, by the way, and I'm sure you've heard this discussed at some point already. Derek Carr signed an extension, three years, of buck twenty, and they can get out of that money end of this year. From what I've heard from Ian Rappaport and/or the NFL Network reporting consortium, um, the money becomes guaranteed within the week of the Super Bowl, so they will have to make a move on him and/or push a deadline, you know, relatively quickly. And the problem becomes, if you did not have Derek Carr at quarterback, you probably would not have landed Devonte Adams. And that's not to say that the Vegas Raiders are an awful organization or an awful team. I don't think either of those things. But one of the main selling points was the fact that he wanted to play with his college buddy QB, and they were kicking around how they'd get to play together. And obviously, was one. it was never going to happen, barring an Aaron Rodgers retirement in Green Bay. Will we see a situation where Devontae Adams is kind of malcontempt? Right? Will we see him try to push his way out? What will we see here? Because you also got to keep in mind the fact that Devontae Adams is not exactly on a tiny contract. right? Now, he's, he's worth it. He's one of the best receivers in the league, but he's got four years remaining here with a potential out per spot rack at 2025, right? after the next two seasons. If they move on from Carr, will we be assuming that that out is going to be somehow taken by the team and or himself, or a mutual situation here. Um, I don't know, folks. It's, It's a weird spot to be in. If you're the Raiders, supposedly, by the way, the reason they're benching him is because if he gets injured, things would vest, and the only way to guarantee that would be him not being on the field. As we sit right now, I've had this conversation before, by the way. If you look through the episodes, it was either last year or the year prior, or perhaps both. That we've discussed the fact that Derek Carr is in that middle of the pack after the great season he was having where he got injured, right? Which was quite some time ago at this point. 12-3 as a starter in 16. 16. 28 touchdowns to 6 picks. He has not surpassed that 28 touchdown mark since. He has not hit that 6 interception mark since. It's rough, man. I mean, Josh Jacobs is playing his behind off... He's probably going to be gone. They didn't pick up his fifth year. Are they going to franchise tag him? Perhaps. I don't know. He seems to be a big part of their offense that they're going to have to try and replace. This is an end. Look, I saw Brady Quinn discussing this, and he was talking about Kyle Orton having an interception issue his first year with Josh McDaniels and how it kind of reigned in as he got more time in the system. I mean, Kyle Orton, not the most talented passer in the NFL. I think Derek Carr... Is better even at this current moment, even though maybe he's past his prime as he's pushing 32. Though QB in the NFL, the prime can extend a while nowadays. Where does Derek fit? Do we see Derek wind up on a team like Indy, right? Are they just going to ride the veteran QB carousel? They're going to move on from Matt Ryan and go to Derek Carr? Possibly. It could make sense. Do we see Derek Carr in a place like Washington? Now that they are moving on potentially from Heinecke and or Wentz, which we'll talk about in a sec. Maybe. Do we see Carr in Tampa Bay if maybe Brady is moving on and or retiring? I'm not sure how that's going to go either. Um, I don't know. I don't know, folks. It's an interesting one to look at. Cause Let me know what you guys think of Derek Carr. I think he's a decent NFL QB. Is he going to win you a Super Bowl? I'm not sure. I would say at this point in his career, pushing up on, what is this, three, six, nine seasons, the answer would be no, right? He's got a losing record in his career. He's had two winning seasons and one 500 season. His high watermark for passing yards is 4,800, which was last year, right? They went 10-7. and seven. They made the playoffs. They were close with Cincinnati, but just not good enough. I don't know. Interesting to me um, that the Raiders find themselves in this situation, particularly because their star receiver that they brought in explicitly wanted to play with that quarterback. Moving on in the QB carousel, let's talk about that benching of Taylor Heineke. Heineke, against the San Francisco 49ers, goes 13 of 18, a buck 66, two touchdowns and a pick. Wentz goes 12 of 16, a buck 23, and a touchdown, Uh, You take a look on the season here. Let's head on over to Pro Football Focus, the best place for, you know, large, bulk NFL statistics, I would say. They've got my seal of approval. Um, This season, in terms of completion percentage, they're pretty much even. In terms of touchdowns to picks, they're pretty much even. Same with interception percentage. You're rolling with the same guy. The only difference is it seems that Washington plays a little harder when they've got Heineke under center. Heineke's record in nine starts, which, by the way, would include this last start, I believe. Correct? Was a start. 5-3-1, um, right? Wentz, in his six games, 2-4. and four. I'm going to make this not-so-bold prediction here. I think if they miss the playoffs, they might fire Ron Rivera. Um, if this team is going to get sold, we've seen it in other sports... You'd either want someone who's kind of a pillar, who can just kind of hold the spot, or you're going to have a placeholder, and the new ownership group will instill their ownership collective, right, from president of football ops or general manager or whatever they want to call it, down on through the coaching staff and perhaps with some personnel decisions, and maybe that's why they went with somebody like Carson Wentz as a stopgap instead of trying to go all out and make a QB acquisition of somebody like a Deshaun Watson, right? Which theoretically is a longer term answer. Granted, his production hasn't looked tremendous and we know the off-the-field issues, but either way, I-, I think Ron's on the hot seat. I think he's managing like someone who knows he needs to make the postseason. Because you bench Carson Wentz, a guy who you just brought in for Taylor Heineke, alright, fine. Maybe Taylor didn't do enough to win the job at the beginning of the year. He goes out there. He's a pass interference call away. From being at the doorstep against your division rival, New York Giants, right? A a PI call that j- seems just about everybody believes should have been made, right? He he fumbles in that game, but it, it wasn't called a the fumble. They had to review it after a challenge to overturn it. Obviously, he made the bad throw to the end zone, but it wasn't caught. What did it matter? Could have been an interception, but it wasn't. Could have, would have, should have, right? Um, I'm not sure this is necessarily the best strategic decision. Because I've been a big Carson Wentz guy on this show that I think he's got talent, and I think there's something there that can be developed and or re-accessed, if you will. I said it when he went to Indy, and they collapsed when it mattered. In the biggest game of the season, he did not play very well. Here they are. Taylor Heineke's pushing towards 30. He is a free agent at the end of the season. No reason to believe that he would want to stay when he didn't get the job outright after you know playing in a playoff game not too long ago, almost beating Tom Brady. Doesn't get the job, right? Gets the job, loses the job, even though he's got a winning record. He's going up against a San Francisco 49er team that is clearly better then Washington. I, I come back to this all the time. It's the mantra of the show. Look, if we if we go on another six seasons or another six episodes, just take this away. Expectations matter. You need to have realistic expectations for for your life, for yourself, for your team, for your quarterback. Did you think Taylor Heineke was going to lead this ragtag commander team just because oh look, Chase Young is back. Yeah, he was supposed to be back three weeks ago. The injury set him back. All right, fair enough. Not ripping Chase. Not saying he didn't want to play or anything. But you're saying just because you plug him in, all of a sudden you can hang with the 49ers, who are one of the best teams in the NFC, if not the NFL. Albeit with a third-string quarterback, they're still this good. That's not That's not realistic, Ron. And if that's the way he's approaching this team, and I get it. Oh, the the standard is the standard, right? You know, winning or or nothing. Yeah. Well, you weren't going to win that game. Doug Williams could have come out and quarterbacked this team. You weren't going to win that game. Or it could have been the other way. It could have been Gus Farratt. Still wouldn't have won that game. You would have needed rookie RG3 and some help. It wasn't going to happen. It's a ridiculous move, and I think it's a blatantly desperate move by a head coach who I think, obviously, right or wrong, is, is feeling the hot seat. Whether it's in his head, whether he's been told by, you know, the front office or ownership or whatever, he wants to make a run. And if it's not gonna happen, he's gonna be in a pickle. Moving on to quote everything else. We went through the QBs, we went through the playoff picture, everything else. Let's talk Nathaniel Hackett. Well, we're a year removed from the tire fire which was the Urban Meyer uh, tenure in Jacksonville, right? And now the Jacksonville Jaguars are contending for the top spot in their division. One year removed. Now, we have Nathaniel Hackett dismissed as head coach within the season, and people are saying, well, is he the worst head coach in NFL history? I, I don't know who the worst head coach necessarily is. I'll say this. For the people that are saying, you know, somebody like Jeff Saturday, I don't think Jeff should be considered because he's not a head coach, he's an interim. And it, it's it's a cop-out, I'll give you that one, but there's plenty of interim coaches who didn't win any games. Not to mention, there's people discussing, you know, Nathaniel Hackett's team went 4-11. and We take a look at the coaching tenure of one Hugh Jackson in Cleveland, and, uh, they won three games in two and a half years. So it's it's hard for me to put him above Hugh. You know, we love ripping Hugh around here. But, man, it was a bad one. And it's not all his fault. We had supposedly, or I read the quote rather, not supposedly, Russell Wilson come out and say something to the effect of, I wish I had played better for him. Yeah, he, he wishes you would have too. He wishes you would have too, Russell. I mean, you're taking a look when you're back in August and you're like, you know, this team's pretty good. Pretty good. They got some young talent at receivers. They got Javante Williams, who obviously goes down with the injury. They've got Melvin Gordon, who I believe is not even any longer on the team. All right. You got Bradley Chubb, who is now suiting up for another squad, who is helping young piece on this defense. Right now, as we sit, Russell Wilson, obviously this is the worst record he's ever had. Quarterback record is meaningless. It's even more meaningless than, you know, pitcher win loss nowadays in baseball, but completion percentage is going to be a career low if he holds this number. Touchdowns going to be a career low by a decent amount unless he has a big two weeks. Interceptions could wind up a career high. They just got blown out by the Rams by Baker Mayfield. Nothing against Baker. I'm a Baker guy, but I mean the guy's known the playbook for a week. He doesn't even know his teammates' names. He's headbutting them. He doesn't even know who he's headbutting. Like This is a rough one. Denver fan, he's not going anywhere either. It's a big contract. Russell Wilson's your guy, man. He's your guy. And however it turns out, it's going to turn out. Where do they want to go in the offseason? We've had the discussion about Sean Payton with L.A. in the postseason. You can make the assumption they won't fire Brandon Staley. Um, Is it a big assumption? Not really, but I could theoretically see them making a move depending on how things end here. You hear supposedly New Orleans might just want to keep him. Would Carolina be interested? I don't think they'd trade him in division. Arizona, possible. But with Kyler Hurt coming off an ACL, would he want to go there? Right? Denver could be intriguing. I don't think he wants to be shackled to six years, potentially, of Russell Wilson, considering the production they're seeing from him this year. I just think that's unrealistic. I think it's going to be a young head coach, or it's going to be a stopgap solution. It's going to be somebody, look, I've been floating the uh, the Byron left out there for years. Eric Bieniemy gets a lot of play usually from people. Um, I'm a left guy. Let's see what happens. You know what I mean? Now, the offense is taken a step back, but how much of that is Tom, how much of that is not having Arians there, I'm not sure. Right? We saw Dayball get a job. He was working out in Buffalo. Who's going to come from the next contender this year that makes a run? and wind up taking this Denver job. We'll find out. We'll find out. Uh, Additionally, in the everything else, or miscellaneous, I guess, category, J.J. Watt is going to call this season his last. Considering the event that occurred during the week, a couple of weeks ago, where he had a a little bit of a heart thing crop up, I, I understand the decision. I think the decision makes perfect sense. Because, you know, he's a relatively young man. Why would you want to put yourself in a situation where something crazy could happen to go out there. And look, let's be honest. I mean, he's playing for the Arizona Cardinals. He's not playing for Buffalo. He's not playing for the Kansas City Chiefs. He's not playing for Philly. Granted, it's by choice, right? But he picked this team. He believed in this team, and it hasn't really worked out there. He hasn't had the chance to play on the biggest stage of them all. Um, Could he be a headhunter, a little mercenary situation? like somebody like Von Miller did, just, you know what, get traded to the Rams and then immediately go to Buffalo. He certainly could. He could sign one-year deals. There was rumors I'd heard that he may wind up trying to play in Pittsburgh. I think that was more wishful thinking on Pittsburgh Steelers fans' parts than truth. But, you know, the Watt boys are there. Could put them all next to each other in the locker room. Why not? He's having a pretty good year. I mean, this is the most sacks he's had in three-plus years. He had 16 sacks in 18... He has nine and a half this year. The last three years combined, he has 10. And he'd only played 31 of 48 games in the last three years. He's been healthy this year. Other than, as I said, the major cardiac situation. Um, One of the more dominant primes or peaks of a pass rusher slash athlete I can realistically remember. You know, three-time defensive player of the year. Several-time Pro Bowler. He was playing offense at one point, which was tremendous. You don't see a lot of Iron Man sort of stuff in the NFL, to use the high school terminology. Um, congrats on a great career. And who knows? Maybe he'll change his mind. Who knows, to be honest. couple of more news and notes as we look through here. Uh, Lane Johnson, going to be out for Week 17 and 18, but maybe not the postseason for Philly. They're hopeful to get him back. Uh, Lyle Collins of the Bengals, who was a big acquisition for them on the O-line, he's done for the year. Uh, Joey Bosa of the Chargers is back off of IR, and I believe he did return to practice, so he's shaping up for a playoff push. Ryan Tannehill to IR, the flip side of the coin, he's done for the year in all likelihood for Tennessee, barring a pretty crazy run, and if they're on that run, I doubt they switch QBs. Uh, Mike White going to reportedly be back this week for the New York Jets. Obviously, he was dealing with the rib- Injury, we'll talk full injury reports in just a second here, as that brings us to the end of the abbreviated standout seven, the, the tremendous trio. It doesn't have the ring to it, but, you know, the summary, the news portion of the episode. We're going to push in to my favorite part, your favorite part, of each week's episode, the pick'em portion of this week's episode. Worth noting, 10-6 and six last week, we did get the Texans game right. We got a couple of games a little bit wrong. We were on the Falcons train, right? didn't really work out. But here we are pushing into week 17 of the NFL season and we're going to get started just like we did last week with the Battle of the Birds this time between the Arizona Cardinals and the hosting Atlanta Falcons. As we said before, only a handful of teams eliminated this season so far. Two of them are in this game. Cardinals are going to be without their backup QB Colt McCoy with a concussion. Going to go with a third-string quarterback to start this game. Also going to be without corner, Antonio Hamilton with a hip injury. Questionable offensive lineman, Kelvin Beachum with a knee-slash-ankle. Wide receiver, DeAndre Hopkins with a knee as well. Linebacker, Tanner Vallejo with a knee. D-lineman, Zach Allen with a hand. And corner, Marco Wilson with a neck injury. Falcons going to be without three on the O-line. Chume Udoga with a knee injury. Tight end Felipe Franks with a concussion. And safety Javante Moffitt with a calf. Questionable offensive lineman Elijah Wilkinson with a calf as well. Um, It's few and far between the times that I would pick a third-string QB to win a football game. With the injury to Hopkins also included, he's going to be a little hobbled. Do You really want to run him out there in a meaningless game to get injured. Mm, I'm going to go with the Falcons in this one. I'm a little disappointed in how they played last week, but let's see if they can pull this one out at home. Speaking of backup quarterbacks on the road, the Miami Dolphins are led by Teddy Bridgewater to Foxborough to take on the potential playoff team that is the New England Patriots. Uh, Obviously, Dolphins without Tua in this one in the concussion protocol. Doubtful offensive lineman Eric Fisher with a calf injury. Questionable, another offensive lineman, Teron Armstead, with the rare four-pack of injuries, toe-slash-peck-slash-knee-slash-hip. Wow. Questionable, fullback Alec Ingold with a thumb injury, wide receiver River Craigcraft with a calf, and another offensive lineman, Greg Little with a foot. On the defensive side, two huge ones, linebacker Bradley Chubb, aforementioned, with an ankle-slash-hand injury, and corner Xavier Howard with a knee. Patriots going to be without some talent in this one as well. Devontae Parker going to miss this one in the concussion protocol. So is tight end Jonu Smith and DB Marcus Jones. Corner Jack Jones also going to miss this game with a knee injury. Questionable, running back Ramondre Stevenson with an ankle. Tight end Hunter Henry with a knee. And two corners, Jonathan Jones with a chest and Jalen Mills with a groin injury. As much as the weird New England comeback last week should probably make me take them more seriously... I'm going to take Teddy Bridgewater and the Miami Dolphins to win this one on the road and keep hold of that last wild card spot. Next, the New Orleans Saints head to Philly to take on the Gardner Minshew-led Eagles. At least, that's what we're thinking. We'll go injuries for the Saints first. They're going to go without running back Dwayne Washington with an illness and safety Marcus May with a shoulder. Questionable wide receiver, young rookie wideout, who's been having a decent year. Chris Alave with a hammy, linebacker Pete Werner with a hammy as well, and two DBs, Justin Evans and Marshawn Lattimore with a shoulder and an abdominal injury, respectively. Eagles, as we said before, going to be without Lane Johnson, and corner, Avante Maddox, also going to miss this one with a toe. Worth noting, Jalen Hurts is listed as doubtful with a shoulder injury. I think they should hold off. I think they'll win this game either way. Give me Minshew to help lock up the one seed for the Philadelphia Eagles at home. Next, the Indianapolis Colts, led by, I guess, still Nick Foles? We'll find out on Sunday. Um, Head to the Meadowlands to take on the New York Giants, live from New Jersey. Colts going to be without wide receiver Ashton Doolin, who's in the concussion protocol. Tight end Kylan Granson with an ankle, and corner Kenny Moore II, also with an ankle injury. Getting a big one back here. Potentially, the New York Giants are listing a Dory Jackson corner as doubtful. With a knee and questionable linebacker Aziz Ojolari, who left last week's game, is listed as having an ankle injury as well. I'm going to take the Giants in this one. I I mentioned last week it's very Detroit for them to have lost that game to Carolina. It's very New York Giants to find a way to play this one close and potentially lose in true Giants fashion on a late field goal, or maybe the turnovers start to crop up again for Daniel Jones. I'm hopeful, and based on using the eye test, I'm thinking that probably won't happen this time. Give me the Giants to win this one at home. Speaking of the Carolina Panthers and the playoff push, the Panthers head to Tampa Bay to take on Tom Brady and the Buccaneers. Panthers going to be without corner J.C. Horn with a wrist injury, questionable offensive lineman Cade Mays with a knee, tight end Tommy Tremble with a hip, and D-lineman Marquise Haynes Sr. with an ankle injury. Doubtful for the Bucks Corner Carlton Davis with a shoulder. Linebacker Carl Nassib with a pectoral. Questionable. Corner Jamel Dean with a toe. Safety Mike Edwards with a hammy. Fellow safety Antoine Winfield Jr. with an ankle. Nose tackle Vitavea with a calf. And on the offensive side, tackle Donovan Smith with a foot injury. And wide receiver Julio Jones battling a knee injury. I'm going to take the Bucks in this game. And I'm going to explain it as simple as I can. It is a prohibitive pick. I am picking Sam Darnold against Tom Brady. I know he doesn't look like Tom Brady. I know this team doesn't look great. I know they should have lost probably to the Cardinals. But I'm going to take Tampa Bay because if they're ever going to figure it out, they better figure it out now. Otherwise, they're going to be sitting at home watching the playoffs with the rest of us. Give me Tampa Bay to win at home. AFC West matchup. The new head coach of the Denver Broncos will lead his team to Kansas City. Oh boy, just what he wanted, to take on the Kansas City Chiefs, pushing for the one seed. Broncos, listing three is out for this one. Linebacker Randy Gregory with a knee, offensive lineman Calvin Anderson with an ankle, and tight end Greg Dulcich with a hammy. Questionable two wideouts, Jerry Judy with an ankle and Kendall Hinton with a hammy. On the defensive side of the ball, DJ Jones with a knee and Baron Browning Questionable with a back injury. I mean, it. come on. Maybe it's the new coach. Maybe, yeah, it was all Hackett's fault. No, no, it wasn't. Look, was he great? No, of course not. But, I mean, the guys that were playing poorly on the field are still going to be there. Give me Kansas City to win this one and stay in the hunt for the one seed. Next, we head to the NFC North. Speaking of hunting, we've got Bears at Lions. Oh, my... Bears, going to be without offensive lineman, Jatire Carter with a back injury, as well as linebacker Sterling Weatherford with an illness. Questionable, two wideouts, Chase Claypool with a knee and Dante Pettis with an ankle, as well as linebacker Travon Wesco with a calf injury. For the Lions, their listing just two is out for this one. Offensive lineman, Coyote Awaseka with an ankle injury, as well as safety, Deshaun Elliott with a shoulder. Questionable, backup running back, Justin Jackson with a hip. Center, Frank Ragnow with a foot and linebacker, Josh Woods with a bicep injury. Dan Campbell seems to get this team riled up and ready to go. They're playing at home. They're still technically in it. Give me Detroit to find a way to win this one at home, though considering the amount of points they gave up to Carolina, this might just be a tremendous showing for Justin Fields. If you're still in your fantasy playoffs, I don't know how it shakes out. I don't have a team this year. If you're still alive and Justin Fields is somehow on your team or available, get him in there. This could be a big one for him. Next, the Cleveland Browns head to Washington to take on Carson Wentz and the Commanders. Browns listing just one. Jadavian Clowney, questionable for this game with a concussion. Commanders going to be without running back Antonio Gibson with a foot slash knee injury, as well as O-lineman Sadiq Charles with a concussion and D-lineman James Smith-Williams also with a concussion. Questionable, four players all in the defensive backfield. Corner, Benjamin St. Juice with an ankle. Corner, Christian Holmes with an ankle. Safety, Percy Butler with a hip. And safety, Cameron Curl with an ankle injury. Welp, as funny as it's going to be, I was debating, you know, I'm debating taking the Browns because I, I want to see the post-game press conference where Ron Rivera's got to kick around 17 different ways where he can go back to Heineke. Um, this is a winnable game for the Commanders. If I'm being honest, Gibson not being there is a little concerning, but James Robinson, I mean, especially against the Giants, he looked kind of unstoppable at points in that game. He's the lead back for my money. This one could be interesting. The Browns offense has not been tremendous in terms of their passing game since Deshaun Watson has come back, oddly enough. Um, I'm going to take the Browns to win this one and play spoiler on the road. Our final 1 o'clock kick is an AFC South matchup that at the beginning of the year looked like it wouldn't matter, and based on the tiebreaker, kind of doesn't, though it will may potentially have some draft implications. The Jaguars head to Houston to take on the Houston Texans who just took down the Titans last week. Jaguars listing a whole heaping of players as questionable, including quarterback Trevor Lawrence with a toe injury, long snapper Ross Matisic with a back injury, Offensive lineman Brandon Scherf with an abdominal and ankle, D lineman Foley Fatukasi with an ankle, linebacker Travon Walker, high draft pick as we all know, with an ankle as well, and safety Andrew Wingard, Wingard, excuse me, with a shoulder. Texans listing two is out for this one. O lineman Jimmy Morrissey with a concussion and tight end Tegan Quitoriano excuse me, Quitoriano with what is just simply listed as tight. Okay, fair enough. He's got some tightness, maybe some cramping going on that's fair okay uh, questionable running back Daria goombawalale with a knee injury as well um you know what we're doing it live folks it's that's, that's what it's list you could check right now on your computer NFL week 17 injury report he's just tight it, ha- it may- maybe he's angry I don't know what's going on our thoughts are with you Tegan um, we're gonna take Jacksonville to win this one on the road I think Lawrence may only play half this game I think having seen the way Tennessee approached the game against Dallas, I think Doug Peterson may be forced to take a similar approach, especially if this toe, is it a turf toe? Whatever Trevor Lawrence has got going on, got to make sure he's healthy and ready to go, as well as Travis Etienne, Evan Ingram, who's been putting up some numbers, Christian Kirk, make sure the whole offense is ready to go. Make sure the defensive guys are good and ready to go as well. I'll take Jacksonville to win on the road, but it wouldn't shock me if Houston wins because the Jaguars don't fire all their bullets. Next we got a Bay Area battle as our first 405 kick. The 49ers head to Vegas to take on not Derek Carr and the Las Vegas Raiders. Niners, obviously without Jimmy Garoppolo, though he's listed on the injury report, so we'll put it in there. As well as wide receiver Debo Samuel, who I believe did return to practice this week and D-lineman Kevin Givens, who's going through a knee injury. Questionable, D-lineman Kerry Hyder with an ankle, and corner Ambry Thomas with an ankle and an illness. Raiders listing two is questionable. Running back Zamir White with an ankle, and tackle Jackson Barton with a back injury. I'm taking San Francisco. Um, San Francisco, I believe, is still playing for seeding at this point. Philly is the leader in the clubhouse for the one seed, but San Francisco can catch... Minnesota, I believe. They're 11-4. and four. Minnesota's 12-3. and three. Who knows? Maybe they could find a way to sneak into the one seed if everything goes right, and then Kyle Shanahan buys a bunch of lottery tickets. But I think they'll be playing hard in this one, and I think San Francisco will win this one on the road. Next, we've got the Geno Bowl as the New York Jets head to Seattle to take on the Seahawks, also at 4.05. Battle of 7 and 8 teams, folks. Didn't think we'd get this one at this time of the year. Uh, Jets to be without two. Wide receiver Jeff Smith with a knee, and corner Brandon Eccles with a quad injury. Um, questionable. Offensive lineman Nate Herbig with an ankle. Safety Jamarcus, excuse me, Lamarcus Joyner with a hip. My apologies. And D. N. Vinnie Curry with an elbow. Seahawks listing quite a few players as questionable, including Travis Homer at running back with an ankle injury. Wide receivers Tyler Lockett with a hand. And Marquise Goodwin with a shoulder and wrist. Lead back Kenny Walker with an ankle. uh, Offensive lineman Abraham Lucas with a knee. D lineman Al Woods with an Achilles injury, and safety Ryan Neal with a knee as well. Mike White being back in this one could be big. I, however, am going to pick against the Mike White agenda because I tend to think this Seattle team, from what they've said publicly at least, the way they put it out there, they seem to really like Geno Smith. And if that's the case, I think they should be able to beat the Jets. Are the Jets better? Potentially. I think they're relatively in the same weight class, so to speak. But this was the team that drafted Gino. He said, oh, they call, they tried to call my career over. I didn't pick up. Well, who was calling? The New York Jets were calling. I think he wants this win. I think he needs this win. This would mean a lot to him, and I think his Seattle teammates will get it done for him. Give me the Seahawks to keep the NFC wild card chase muddy and win this one at home. Next, our first of two 425 games, the Minnesota Vikings head to Green Bay to take on the somehow barely breathing Green Bay Packers. Vikings going to be without center Garrett Bradbury with a back injury and defensive lineman James Lynch with a shoulder. Packers listing just two questionable wide receiver Christian Watson, huge one with a hip, and corner Keyshawn Nixon, big on the special teams, with a groin injury. As much as Green Bay's got the momentum, and Kirk Cousins and Minnesota loves to find ways to bungle things up, I'm actually going to take them to turn the page here and take down the Packers, pretty much eliminating them, or maybe definitively eliminating them from playoff contention. I'm, I'm going to take Minnesota at Lambeau. Let's do it. Keeping with the theme of inner-city rivalries, we had the Bay Area battle, and we've got the battle for Los Angeles as Baker Mayfield leads the Rams in the other 425 kick to take on the now playoff-bound L.A. Chargers. The Rams, obviously, without a whole laundry list of players, but the ones listed this week, quarterback John Walford, center Brian Allen, D-tackle Aaron Donald, and wide receiver Ben Scaronic. questionable, Leonard Floyd, listed as rest, and tight end Tyler Higby also rest-slash-elbow. They know they're done. They get it. Fair enough. Chargers going to be without safety Derwin James, who's in the concussion protocol, and questionable fullback Xander Horvath with an ankle injury. I mean, let's be realistic. I'm taking the Chargers to win this one anyway. I doubt the Rams can have a tremendous offensive showing again, considering their injuries. I'm not sure how this one's going to go. Give me the Chargers to win this one fairly comfortably at home. Keeping the division battle theme... The Sunday night matchup is between the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens from M&T Bank Stadium. Steelers going to be without DB Trey Norwood with a hamstring injury. Questionable, just two. D-lineman Larry Ogunjobi, one of my favorite names in the league, with a toe-slash-personal matter. Uh, Miles Jackett, linebacker, also questionable, with a groin-slash-personal matter. Uh, Ravens going to be without corner Marcus Peters with a calf and QB Lamar Jackson with a knee division on the line playing a division rival and they won't have their, one of their best defensive players and their QB big one questionable tight end Nick Boyle with an illness safety Geno stone with a hammy and big one against this Steelers team. D end Calais Campbell questionable as well with a knee injury. I'm actually going to take Pittsburgh in this one. Look, I wasn't really impressed with the way they play the Raiders. I like the way their defense played, obviously, forcing all those turnovers, but I think the Raiders lost that game as much, if not more, than Pittsburgh won that game. Granted, it was a Franco-Harris tribute game. I get it. They gritted it out in true Pittsburgh Steeler fashion. I think they'll find a way to win this one. I, I really wasn't impressed with the way the Ravens played Baltimore, Excuse me, played Atlanta either. 17-9. to I mean, they're still kind of in it. Like, I'm going to take Pittsburgh to try and just play spoiler to end this year. Give me Pittsburgh on the road. Next, it's the game of the week. It's the game of the month. It is, I mean, who knows? It might wind up game of the year, and it's going to be taking place next year. The Bills taking on the Cincinnati Bengals. Monday night football. The one seed on the line. Let me remind you of the implications here. As we sit currently, Buffalo is the one seed, right? The two seed is Kansas City. The three seed, the only one of the three that has not clinched their division, is Cincinnati. And they will be playing host in this game. The scenarios as we go through if kansas city defeats denver which should not be too hard they will sit at 13 and 3 if cincinnati wins they and the bills will both be 12 and 4 therefore opening the door to a kansas city one seed yet again if buffalo wins they will still be tied if kansas city can beat denver at 13 and 3 going into Week 18. Now you might ask, who do those two teams play in Week 18? That's a great question, and you know what? I have the answer for you. The Bills play host to New England. Kansas City travels to Vegas to take on the not-Derek Carr-led Raiders. We know who has the easier matchup there. Not to mention, New England might be playing for a playoff berth, depending on how their game with Miami, led by Teddy Bridgewater, goes this week. Another thing to consider. If Cincinnati loses, and they slip to 11-5, and five, it is possible they will enter their matchup with Baltimore explicitly tied with the winner of their Week 18 matchup, presumably the Sunday night football game, to end the year, taking home the division crown. Also, that would be a little awkward, because that would bump the Jaguar-Titan game out of the Sunday night spot, even though it will... Decide the playoff fate of a division. That's stacked. I know. Big game. Huge game. Who am I taking? Who are you taking? Let me know. Comments, social media, whatever. I'm taking Buffalo. I thought about this one. I thought about what I saw from Cincinnati last year how they went on a run, how they were, you know, really darn close to a Super Bowl victory. They're a Cooper Cup away from being the defending champions. I thought about the fact that Von Miller is not available for Buffalo. I thought about how important that might be in this playoff push. Push being the operative word in terms of on the O-line of the Bengals. However, I was reminded by myself of Lyle Collins' injury. How is that going to affect the Cincinnati Bengals as well? I am of the opinion that when we entered this season, Buffalo was a top three team in the league, potentially the best team in the league. I'm still of that opinion. I think right now, gun to my head, the best team in football when healthy is the Philadelphia Eagles, and number two is the Buffalo Bills. Obviously, can't guarantee health at this point. Jalen Hurts on the sideline. Von Miller is as well, right? Here we are. Biggest game of the year. We talked about Josh Allen as an MVP candidate. We talked about him fading away, potentially, out of the MVP race. You want to put yourself right back at number one, potentially, with Jalen Hurts on the sideline hurt. Here we are. Go win this game in Cincinnati. Another thing to discuss here, by the way, while we're here, when you consider the playoff situation here and or well, the playoff thing we already discussed. When you consider the MVP race, right now, if Joe Burrow beats Josh Allen, it's possible he vaults his way to the top of the MVP discussion. Right now, Joey B sitting at 4260 yards, 34 touchdowns, 12 picks. Josh Allen, 40-29, 32 touchdowns, 13 picks. Pretty much equal in terms of Passing touchdowns to interceptions, obviously you have to include the fact that in terms of rushing yards, Josh Allen obviously has the edge. He's rushed for 750 yards and seven touchdowns. However, Joe Burrow, the edge, 69% completion percentage to 63. The head-to-head win could do it. It could be the icing on the cake of the MVP argument for one of these boys. I'm taking the bills to win this one on the road and to put themselves in prime position to lock up a one seed so they don't have to go to Arrowhead again and have to deal with those overtime rules. Give me Buffalo on the road. Reminder, folks, obviously as we get into the tail end of this season, well, the very end of this season, no more Thursday night football games. We had our final one in the Tennessee-Dallas game. Unfortunately for Amazon, it was a little bit of a rough year for those games. But next week, week 18, we will have every NFL team in action on Sunday, January 8th. Can you believe it? Can you believe we're at the end of the season already? It's a little hard for me to believe. I'm not going to lie to you, folks. It's been, uh, wow, another year down, down the uh, the proverbial drain here. Not trying to be negative about it, but I can't think of the way to put it other than that. You know what I mean? Down in the books, let's call it six seasons of this show. If you're here for the first episode or you're 156, thank you so much for joining us. That'll bring us to the end of this week's episode, this week's pick'em portion and this week's episode of the Necessary Roughness podcast presented by Last Word on Sports. Have a happy new year, folks. I know we're coming up on it. Hope you had a great 2022. Hope you have an even better 2023. Thank you for spending even one hour of it with us. I hope you'll do the same next week. Hope you do it into next year and who knows however many years after that. Hope you enjoy the games. Have a good one. I'm your host, Nicholas Denotic, signing off.